Hey everybody, happy Tuesday and welcome back to the water cooler. As you can see, I am not David Brody. I am Carrie Sheffield filling in for the man, the legend himself. But don't you worry, David Brody is going to be back here tomorrow giving a walk up to the New Year's. You don't want to miss that. In the meantime, we know that we are one week away from the special runoff elections in Georgia. The balance of power is riding completely on these two races, Senator David Perdue versus John Ossoff and Senator Kelly Loeffler versus Raphael Warnock. We're going to get to that race in just a minute, but we also know that we're just nine days away from finally ending the 2020 election saga with the final vote from Congress on whether to accept or deny the Electoral College vote from two weeks ago. Now, an increasing number of House members are planning to contest the Electoral College, but do they have enough support? Talking about a lack of support, President Trump was rebuked in the House on his veto of the National Defense Authorization Act with a veto override and was rebuked in the Senate earlier today with his call for increased stimulus checks to $2,000 per person. Let's go back to those races in Georgia. Joining me is Jenny Beth Martin, who is honorary chairman of the Tea Party Patriots. Hey there, Jenny Beth. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So you are there in Atlanta, you are on the ground. This is a nail-bitingly close race here. Walk us through, what are you seeing? Because this is the balance of not just the Senate, but the entire Biden agenda, because the House, presumably because the Democrats are going to control it, would just rubber stamp that through. That is correct. Um, right now in Georgia, Georgians know that we're not just voting on the senators who will represent us in the in Georgia, but we also are voting on which direction our country goes. Are we going to be a socialist country or are we going to be a country that still cherishes the Constitution and the freedoms that the Constitution protects? And so you've got people like my organization with Tea Party Patriots and pretty much every group on the center right in the conservative movement doing all they can to get out the vote. Club for Growth, SBA List, um, Freedom Works, the Concerned Women for America, Job Creators Network, all of oh, Heritage Action for America, all of them are on the ground doing bus tours, going door to door. We're making phone calls, sending text messages, and Tea Party Patriots is making sure we have public observers in place to watch those that processing of the absentee ballots. And a judge has ordered two Georgia counties to halt a voter purge attempt. So on Monday, basically, this federal judge blocked two of the counties there in your state to, uh, from removing more than 4,000 voters from electoral rolls. Do you think this will have an impact on the outcome? Um, I'm not sure if it has an impact on the outcome or not, but it certainly um, is a decision that is really it, it reeks. Honestly, it just reeks. It's Stacey Abrams' sister who made the made the decision. If I had been that judge, I would have just recused myself so nobody would accuse me of doing something that that my sister wanted me to do. And so that the 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 decision alone could stand on its own merits without questioning whether there was something else going on with some other backroom deal. And we've had enough of backroom deals with Stacey Abrams in Georgia. We had the, the, um, the deal that the Secretary of State signed in a consent decree that basically changed how the absentee ballots are processed in the state of Georgia when really it, it went against what the the legislature has done and what the Constitution says about who gets to make election laws in the state of Georgia. Is this being repealed? Do you think it would be, I mean, we're getting out to the wire. It is next week. 
Is this been appealed? Do you think that there could be an authority who could say to Stacey Abrams' sister, hey, you got some nepotism here? Um, I, I'm sure that it, it will be appealed. The fact is, what these counties were doing was not actually... The, they were flagging the people as challenged voters, which is legal and allowable under Georgia law. Now, whether there was enough question for uh, enough evidence for probable cause, I, I'm still trying to understand exactly what is probable cause for challenging voters. But once you're flagged as a challenged voter, then the um, if you go in to vote, you are it, the system alerts the poll worker that you're a challenged voter. You present evidence to prove that you live where you say you live and you are able to vote. Or if you cannot present that evidence, you cast a provisional ballot and you have time to go back and cure it and get and get whatever it might be, whatever paperwork might be there. So it is not something that happens without probable cause. It is not something that actually prevents a vote if the person is legitimately allowed to vote. And I think there are probably grounds for appeal. I'm not an attorney and I'm, I'm not 100% clear on all the ins and outs on this particular dealing with challenging voters. But that's really kind of the point. If it had not been Stacey Abrams' sister, perhaps people would have would take the decision and look a little bit deeper in the decision. And, and now they're just looking at the surface and going, it's just, it seems like a corrupt, a corrupt decision. Um, so do I think it makes a difference on this election? I think that if the election is as close as the general election was, every little thing makes a difference. But I also understand that we one of the biggest things that we had an issue with in the general election is the absentee ballots. We don't think that those absentee ballots were processed properly. We know for certain that at least in Cobb County, Georgia, the signatures were not verified properly. And in that happening, um, it means that some people who maybe should not have been casting votes were allowed to cast votes. People are watching that much more closely this time around. We have observers watching the workers who are doing the work, and they seem to be taking a little bit more time right now. And I appreciate that. And it gives me a little bit more confidence in what we will see as the outcome of the election next Tuesday. So Jenny Beth, I want to get your thoughts because when we think of Georgia, we think deep history of conservative red politics. Why was it even close? Well, we do think of um, a red state, but remember, we've only had um, we've had three Republican governors now. I remember when the state was was much more Democrat leaning or much more divided. So it 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 is. In the last several years, we've thought of it as a, a red state, but it hasn't always been a, a solid red state. It is a conservative state. And the fact is, I think it was a conservative state in November. We voted for President Trump. I, I have looked at the evidence. I've served as a non-attorney on the Trump legal team in Georgia. I've read the affidavits. I've read the, the case that was filed in Fulton County Superior Court. And I think that the evidence shows that this election, there is enough um, fraud and in, in improper voting and possibly illegal voting to call to question the, the results. And I think President Trump probably would have won had those things not, not happened in the first place. And what about the future? So you're honorary chairman of the Tea Party Patriots. You've been deeply involved in grassroots conservative politics. 
We've been covering everything end to end as far as the challenge by President Trump. But let's just say that it is a Biden presidency. What's the position? What's the strategy for Tea Party patriots, for grassroots conservatives under a Biden administration? Well, I think that some of this will depend on what happens with the United States Senate. If if the Republicans hold the Senate, then we will help support them as they stand against the Green New Deal, as they stand for the Second Amendment and against gun confiscation, as they stand um, for the Trump tax cuts and not rolling those tax cuts back, as they stand against single-payer socialized health care and stand for health care freedom. Those are the things that we will stand and encourage and support support them as they work on. If, however, we lose those guardrails in the Senate, then I think we're back to where we were in 2008 and 2009, where a lot of what we can do is, is exercising our First Amendment rights, rolling up our sleeves, and making sure we get out the vote in two years from now. However, we still have a week to go, and I'm not giving up hope on the United States Senate. We have to elect these two, to re-elect these two senators in Georgia. And where do you come down on the stimulus payments? Because some conservatives are telling me, I don't like this. I don't like giving out free, quote unquote, monopoly money for 600 versus 2,000, one or the other, but more is worse from their perspective. But then you have other folks saying, hey, at least this money would be going to Americans when they're hurting as opposed to going over to Egypt where do you come down on this? I think it was entirely too much money. Our children and our grandchildren will have to pay for it if if we are fortunate enough that it, it lasts that the country lasts that long and we don't run into a debt crisis in our own lifetimes. It is the way this entire pandemic has been handled at many state and local levels has been oppressive and tyrannical. And it, those decisions from governors and local local, um, lo not law enforcement, but local elected officials have, have driven people into bankruptcy, caused people to lose their jobs, lose their livelihoods, and lose the ability to put money on the, I mean, to put food on the table. You have to earn money in order to pay for food for your children. I have been through bankruptcy. I lost my house. I lost my cars. My then husband and I struggled just to make sure we had food for our children. We wound up cleaning our neighbor's homes and opening a computer repair business. And we refused to take money from the government back then from, from the bailouts and TARP and all of the different things that we're passing through and instead wound up losing our home, but we stood on our principles. I'm against this particular bill for very much the same reasons I, I turned it down personally years ago. I understand what those people are going through and I know the pain and agony and hurt that they're going through. And I think that it's, it, it is imperative that we open up this country. We have to get this country open. I'm so thankful I live in a state where Governor Kemp opened the country early, and he understood just what a closed-down a closed economy does to each individual family and business owners and employees around our state. Jenny Beth Martin, thanks for sharing that personal story. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having they me. All right. All right, so stick with us here at Water Cooler Rick Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. 
Bite Clear liners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Water Cooler. I am Terry Sheffield, filling in for David Brody. And joining me is Rick Manning, the president of Americans for Limited Government. Hey there, Rick. Hey, Carrie, how are you? Doing well. So on your website right now, you guys have an article that says, Stop the Fraud. Urge your state yep. legislators to contact Congress. And on my program this morning on Just the News AM, I had a congresswoman elect, and she said she's planning to go with Mo Brooks. This is Lauren Boebert is her name. And yeah. she said there's strategy right now is to try to pick off enough vulnerable Democratic House members and basically force them to caucus with the Republicans to get this over the finish line. Who are those vulnerable House members, would you say? Well, I, I think you would take a look at the um, at the election results and you'll see that there are probably 10 uh, vulnerable members of the House from the Democratic side. Um, some are representing California, believe it or not. Um, but there's others who are in places like Texas, places where uh, some actually in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, uh, Florida, where we have actually an opportunity for them to sit there and say, you know, this is really bad politics for me to not stand up for um, the proper electors and to basically certify fraud. And that's where, where they're going to go. And, you know, if they can find the 10, that's great to do that. Um, I'm focused on doing a very simple thing, and that is getting state legislators to contact their members of Congress, because I've found that state legislators have the most kind of oomph with members of Congress because they're the potential opponents in the next election. And so they've got a particular kind of political grind that they can put on a congressperson simply due to the threat that 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 person contacting them may run against that congressperson and beat them. Interesting. Who are those names? Can you give me some names about of those 10 people? Yeah, um, actually, I'm focused more on the state legislatures as a whole. The, you know, the 10 that we're, we'd probably be looking at, um, I, Carrie, I, I can't give you the specific names of the 10 that, that uh, Lauren Bober is looking at. I'm looking at states, at, at districts that are Trump districts, um, you know, in West Virginia and places where we have to be able to generate people. And lastly, on the Senate side, and I know we're focused on the House, Senate side, West Virginia is everything. Um, and I would I would encourage anybody in West Virginia to contact Joe Manchin right now, because the fact of the matter is, if Joe Manchin do, doesn't vote to stop the steal in the Senate, it means that you can't you can only lose two Republicans. If you if you lose two Republicans, you lose. So you have to have Joe Manchin with the Republicans on this in the Senate to have a chance to make this happen. So my focus is on the Senate in terms of making it happen from there. And we are going to get Congress. We're going to try to pick off congressmen as it uh, as they become more apparent as to who the right targets are. And I'll be reaching out to Lauren Boebert to try to get those names from her, the people she thinks are vulnerable, so I can focus my efforts a little more directly where she's focusing hers. Well, it's fine. She wouldn't give me any names either. So I guess people are excited. Um, but Rick, in terms of Joe Manchin, my understanding is that he's said that he will vote for elect the Electoral College, but th that he will not vote 
to blow up the filibuster. He says that's his compromise, that he doesn't want to get rid of that 60-vote threshold because he says that will help with bipartisanship, but he says he is going to recognize Joe Biden. So what would you say to change his mind? Um, I think about a million West Virginians need to change his mind. There's nothing I can say, but West Virginians need to let uh, Joe Manchin know that a vote that if unless he votes against fraudulent elections and fraudulently certified electors, then he's not representing them, and they've got no and they've got no place for him as as a senator. You know, ultimately, this is going to be a discussion between Joe Manchin and his constituents. And the thing that I'm trying to do is make sure those constituents know that so they are making making sure their voices are heard, because quite honestly, I don't think they're going to buy it, because the truth is Joe Manchin has never voted for with the Republicans when he was the deciding vote. He's always the 51st vote. He's never been the deciding vote. And so this if he stands up the Democrats on a filibuster, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Fact is, he's caved every other time, and West Virginians need to hold him accountable now. And let's move on to the stimulus check debate, because we just heard that Mitch McConnell put a stop to what the House passed. The House passed a bill to expand it to $2,000 from a $600 check for stimulus for COVID expenses, COVID stress, things like that. The Wall Street Journal wrote an op-ed and said that basically President Trump did a gift for Mitch, uh, for Mitch McConnell's opponent, Chuck Schumer, by basically putting McConnell in the position of being the Grinch, the bad guy, the one saying no to the more money, the more giveaway. This puts the Senate in balance toward Georgia, at least as far as the Senate is concerned. What say you to that? Well, I think that the $2,000 giveaway is a mistake. Um, you know, Santa Claus doesn't really, you know, I don't want to break it to your viewers, but Santa Claus doesn't exist and the government can't play Santa Claus by pretending they're giving people money when they're actually just giving their money, their own money back to them. There's a, what we're seeing is a trend with this particular idea that we're just sending people cash, a trend that the public says, gee, send me money. And then automatically have the money tree, they send people money. It's extraordinary. It's, it's, it's so, so wrong to do this. It's almost impossible to describe, but where we're leading to is a universal basic income pro concept where people are guaranteed a certain amount of money for the federal government, whether they work or not. And in doing that, that's something that's been stressed out of Silicon Valley, it's been stressed by the Democrats. And if we do that, we're going to eliminate the desire to work and the need to work. And that's bad for Americans, it's bad for individuals. So Mitch McConnell is right on this, and and the president is wrong, and I don't think I've said that more than two times in the entire administration, but in this particular instance, Mitch McConnell is 100% right, and the president, by putting him in this position, I think has made a huge mistake. And when it comes to the future, do you think that this is going to pass? Um, I don't think it's going to pass this session, but I do, but, you know, it's going to be brought up uh, in post-January 20, and undoubtedly the legs have been given to it to be able to move it post-January 20. And that's a, and once again, I think that's a huge mistake um, because this is not 2000, here's what's already happened. With the $600 per, per person, an average family of four this year has received $5,800, $5,800 in money just handed to them by the federal government. That's a that's a huge amount of money. In fact, it's more than the average household makes in a month and a half. So 
we, we can't just continue doing this and expect our economy to work. We have to have people right. work for their money. Rick Manning, you got to leave it right there. We appreciate it. Stick with us, folks. Brian Castro, he's a former Trump surrogate. Coming up next. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey there, welcome back to The Water Cooler. I am Terry Sheffield filling in for the immutable David Brody. And joining me is Brian Trusher, Trasher, who has actually been muted by Twitter. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. And I should mention also, Brian, that you were a Trump surrogate here in 2020, and you just got banned from Twitter because you said that a man who was put to death by the U.S. government, who was on death row for murdering two people, you said that you agreed that he should have been put to death. Walk us through more about what happened, about why you were banned on Twitter. Yeah, and just to kind of reiterate on on uh, being a campaign surrogate for 2020, um, I, I've continued that role after the election because of all the irregularities, and I've probably done more appearances since election day than I did all of uh, 2020, but uh, hey, it's, it's, that's the job. So I, uh, I embrace it fully. Yeah, so you know, there was a lot of, of, of uh, talk about uh, a man named Brandon Bernard who was on death row for uh, murdering two people, putting them in the trunk of their car and then setting, setting the car on fire. It's a crime he committed when he was a teenager. I think he uh, was about 40 years old at the time of his execution, if I'm, if I'm remembering the facts correctly. But there was a big push to, uh, you know, uh, to to not put him to death, let him just serve life in prison. Uh, but uh, the Justice Department and the judge and everybody else involved decided that his crimes were horrific. And despite the fact that it was a long time ago and the fact that uh, he, he was a, a reportedly a model prisoner, the family of these victims have waited 21 years for justice. And so, you know, being, uh, you know, perusing through Twitter, I saw AOC make a tweet and I rarely ever uh, respond to her tweets uh, because you can it's a good way to get banned from Twitter is just disagreeing with her. She's very, very loved by uh, by the Twitter employees. But uh, she just she made a comment that, uh, you know, he, he didn't deserve the death penalty and, and a couple other things that were uh, actually non-factual about the case. And all I said was. He did deserve to, to be executed. Um, he, at least he died humanely and unlike his victims. Uh, and yeah, you're putting up the, uh, the tweet right there. So within seconds, I got a notice from Twitter that my account had been suspended and digging a little deeper, found out that it was a permanent suspension, which means that I'm not going to be allowed back on Twitter. They have deleted all my, uh, and I only had about 5,000 followers. I'm not a, I'm not a big, you know, huge social media presence, but um, but not bad for, you know, a kid from New Orleans. But but anyway, um, so so I, I, I did some digging and it uh, turns out I, I did I did uh, file an appeal. Twitter lets you appeal it. But uh, in talking to some people I know at Twitter or have some close contacts at Twitter, they said that those things don't ever get reversed. They don't ever actually ever read 
the appeals. Um, you're basically just going to have to wait a while and try to start a new account and hope they don't don't find it because uh, they'll delete that did they one say, too. Did they but say I'll, that if you did they say if you delete the tweet they'll let you back on? No, I did not have that option. Um, and if they would have offered me that option, I, I would have. I mean, even though it's it's censorship, it's who cares? It's not a it was not a life or death tweet. Um, but no, they they offered me absolutely no chance whatsoever to uh, delete it, edit it or anything. Um, this was definitely done probably via AI because of, of how fast it happened. Or it could have been uh, a live policing because uh, uh, there's a lot of Twitter employees that spend that's their full time job is just, you know, being thought police on the Internet. And uh, like I said, AOC is somebody they probably had pictures of. AOC nailed to a cross inside the office of Twitter. Uh, that that's how uh, how you know beloved and uh, reverent they are of her. And again, I, I should have known better. I've heard that like don't ever respond to her, or Taylor Swift, or any other you know big socialist uh, on Twitter because that's a good way to get banned. So it sounds like you would agree with President Trump on his Section Two Hundred and Thirty claims, and obviously you're a Trump surrogate, so. But you personally seem to have run up against them because Section 230 allows these tech companies to say, hey, we're just a platform. We're not making editorial judgment here about what is on our platform. Therefore, we need to be shielded from liability. Do you agree with this argument from Twitter? Uh, no, it's a ridiculous argument. Let's let's just talk facts here. Section 230 was written back in the early 90s when the Internet first started uh, you know, hitting, hit, becoming a big thing and, and, and a lot of people using it, and especially a lot of people uh, starting to consume news and information that way. Um, there were no social media, big social media platforms uh, back then. Um, and now uh, Twitter and Facebook regularly censor speech. They regulate and censor elected officials. They have censored the president of the United States. But when, where Twitter really kind of bit the dust was when they embargoed that New York Post article about the Hunter Biden scandal, which now after the election, everybody is admitting is absolutely true. Uh, he is being investigated by the DOJ. They, the DOJ does have his laptop. There is child pornography on it. All these things that we heard that, that the, the left wing media and Twitter and Facebook were telling us were, were not true and that the, the guy who had the laptop uh, was... Um, was a hacker. And by the way, he filed the $500 million defamation lawsuit against Twitter today. It's going to be interesting to see how that happens. But, uh, but Brian, yeah, no, they well, are let definitely. You, let me ask you, Brian, because over in Poland, they just passed a new law that would fine technology companies $2.2 million if they censor posts. As long as these posts don't break any laws, these tech companies are the ones who would be fined and they are the ones who would be penalized for censorship. Do you agree with this? I agree with the sentiment of that. I don't think I would like to see a law exactly like that in the United States because it's a very slippery slope. As much as I don't want Twitter and Facebook censoring average citizens and elected officials, I don't want the government telling, uh, you know, going against freedom of the press. Uh, but first we have to designate them as press and then we can regulate them or they can enjoy freedom of the press, uh, so to speak. But they do have to admit that they are uh, actual uh, media outlets that that do censor. Um, but again, yeah, I, I again, the, the, the sentiment of that Polish law, I get. And we probably have to go down that road and, and see what jives with the U.S. Constitution and what doesn't. Um, but but look, the bottom line is this, Harry, that the majority of people today uh, are consuming their information and expressing their opinions 
almost 90%, and I'm making that number up, but I'm probably pretty close to right, on social media. That is just, that is the main platform of free speech today in the year 2020. So because these private companies control those, let's call them airwaves, uh, they have a responsibility to not violate uh, people's First Amendment rights, as well as they have to uphold the Equal Protection Clause and not allow some people to express certain opinions, but not other people to express certain opinions. All right, Brian Tasha, we're going to leave it right there. Thanks so much. Stick with us, folks. We've got Charles, who's Ron, who's a fantastic expert coming next here on The Waterfield. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey, everybody, and welcome back here to The Water Cooler. I am not David Brody. He is going to be back in tomorrow. But in the meantime, I'm excited to bring to you Mr. Charles Mizrahi. He is the host of The Charles Mizrahi Show and the founder of Alpha Investor. You might not know this about him, but when he was 35 years old, Barron's Magazine crowned him the number one trader in the nation. Can you believe it? Now he's here with us. Hey there, Charles. How are you, Carrie? Doing well. So let's talk about your most recent Washington Times piece. The headline says, forget presidents and politicians, Americans' innovation drives economic success. You go in there and you say that everyone's focused on Joe Biden and really obsessing about what he'll mean, good or bad, depending on your political stripe. You say this is the wrong focus. What's the right focus? Right. Throughout our nation's history, it's really been the entrepreneur and business which has driven everything. The government is there to facilitate, to regulate, to sometimes tap on the brakes, and sometimes to make life a little difficult and sometimes to make life a little easier. If I believe that if Americans focus on what's going to happen over the next four years, Uh, It's going to be a mistake because regardless whoever sits in the White House, these are temporary speed bumps. If you're a Republican looking at Democrats and if you're a Democrat, uh, you're basically saying we're going to turn business back to the way it was. I'm saying that's really not the focus. The focus really should be on uh, American innovation, the fact that this is the freest, greatest country in the world with enormous opportunities. And it really is not going to matter in the long run. Uh, who sits in the White House or who controls Congress over the short term. All right, let me challenge you right there, though, because I see what you're saying about you want people to be focused on the engine and the driver, which is the American consumer, the American small business, the American producer. What about regulation? What about taxes? Don't these things matter? Don't they affect the driver of these engines? Yes, but over the short term, because we're a nation that self-corrects. Over time, when you have excess to one end, it usually moves back to the other. Uh, for example, uh, does any investor who bought Walmart back in when they IPO'd in 1970 remember who was sitting in the White House or which party controlled Congress or what tax regulation was? We had high tax rates in, in the 60s under Kennedy. So uh, 
Yeah, over the short term, it will be a roadblock. And if we focus upon those kinds of things, we're missing the big picture. Bottom line is, is that uh, we go to the ballot box every two years to vote in temp workers, because really that's what they are. And uh, it's up to the American people to really guide which way the economy is going to go, because we could vote these people out. All right, but let me tell you about a little guy named over in the Senate, Bernie Sanders. Now, I used to cover the Congress for Politico back in 06, 07. This was a man out in the wilderness. He was not considered mainstream at all by the Democratic Party. He is now the vibrant heartbeat for a large swath of the Democratic Party. Times are different. We're not talking about JFK. In fact, uh, Larry Kudlow, who's an advisor to President Trump, he says that JFK today, based on his regulatory policy, would be a Republican. So isn't this just the expansive overcreep? And hasn't the center of what you're saying really, really just shifted very hard to the left, especially in the last few years? Yes, it has. Uh, really, it's a vocal minority. And we're going to see now how it's going to shift back to the center because the socialists out there are just absolutely ridiculous. I saw a study, a, a poll yesterday or the day before that AOC was thinking about running against Chuck Schumer in New York uh, for Senate. Totally, totally shambled. They said she has literally no chance. And more importantly, uh, for socialists throughout this country, they are getting lower and lower marks in the general acceptance of the American public. The American people aren't stupid. Uh, nobody in this country, or very few people in this country, want to work and give away their assets, their money, and have government control. It's a very, very local minority that we're hearing about now. And I'm telling you, and you could say I'm crazy now, but this is really just going to be the outlier. And in the next couple of years, it's just going to swing back to the center. It can't last the way it is. Well, Charles, I appreciate that you're an optimist, but you said that people don't want to have their money be taken away from them. But what about what we're seeing right now with the stimulus debate? So even the president, President Trump, says he wants Americans to get a $2,000 check instead of a $600 check. We just heard word that Mitch McConnell has blocked that as of now. He's blocked the House to pass that bill to increase that money. But who knows? Who, might, who knows what might happen in the new Congress, especially if Democrats win in Georgia, that the Democratic control of the Senate could go to Chuck Schumer and we could see an expansive pylon of debt. I mean, we're seeing a debt to GDP level not seen since World War II, but this is during technically a time of peace. All right, two fact, two things I want to address. One is, uh, I think the president, and I am a big supporter, made a mistake by upping the game from 600 to $2,000. He basically put the Republicans out in the wilderness. If Georgia does, if we do lose in, in, uh, in Georgia, it won't be because of anything that the Democrats did. It's because of what, uh, what President Trump did by upping the game to $2,000. The Republicans didn't want that. It's too much, it's too much, puts too much debt on us. It, it really was not necessary. And now, uh, do you want to be a Republican running and having to think that you were the one who voted against giving more money to the American people? So that was, that's option one. President Trump is taking care of President Trump. So I put that out of the argument. Second thing with our debt. For I, I, as long as I've been doing this for close to 40 years, all I've heard about is the debt's a issue, the debt's a time bomb, debt's a time bomb. Realize this, we are the largest uh, uh, GDP uh, country in the world, 21, 22 trillion dollars. We comprise around four to five percent of the world's population. We are the engine that moves the world in terms of, of, of actually 
bringing so much productivity and, and creating enormous wealth. So debt is not in itself terrible. Uh, most people have debt on their homes. It's called a mortgage. Uh, we're not going to be in a situation where uh, it's hyperinflation of Germany back in the 1920s. That's the wrong focus. Definitely not. As long as the government is a partner with every human being in this country in terms of running a business, they take 30 to 40 percent taxes. The government will do fine. Debt won't be an issue. But what about the interest on the debt? I mean, you're getting the interest on the debt alone is going to be crowding out education, crowding out defense. That alone is a huge expenditure. Yeah. So what? Uh, we're, we're continually, our GDP continually rises and the debt, in fact, the interest is continually shrinking because of low interest rates. So we're able to borrow at ridiculously low rates, 0 0.3, 0.2% uh, interest. Uh, so that, that these are non-factors. All right. These are non-factors. Well, Thank you so much, Charles Mizrahi, founder of Alpha Investor and host of The Charles Mizrahi Show. I appreciate his optimism, and we'll see if he's right. Stay tuned here for more Water Cooler. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, everybody, and welcome back here to the water cooler. So here for the last sip, I want to delve into this debate that I think it's going to be ongoing here. And President Trump in some ways set it up here because Republicans, including some in the House, voted to expand spending and money that's been given to families. They want to expand it from $600 up to $2,000. And conservatives here are telling me on this program and on my show as well that they don't like that. They think that this is a perception of free money. It's sort of monopoly money, that it's setting it up for universal basic income, this idea that you should get money no matter if you're working or even looking for work, that you should just get money from the government. But to quote Margaret Thatcher, when you give out money, socialism style, at some point you run out of giving people other people's money. So the money's got to come from somewhere. And there's going to be just a lot of questions here because right now it looks like Mitch McConnell is in the position of being played as the quote Grinch uh, because he's been set up by President Trump to be the one here standing in opposition to this expansion of this giveaway. So the big question is, will Republicans in the Senate continue to support Mitch McConnell and say, we agree with this. The spending has to stop at some point. You can't keep borrowing. You can't borrow and binge spend your way uh, to prosperity. But, but here on the show also, uh, we've had different perspectives. Uh, a Wall Street executive who says that, you know, it's not the end of the world that we are the wealthiest country, that this is uh, just like you probably have a mortgage. You got some debt there, that debt can help lead and pave the way to prosperity. That sometimes, especially in a moment of crisis, in the moment of a pandemic, that is exactly when you want to have this type of spending. And that the Republicans, they have been very profligate, that when times were good pre-pandemic, they weren't being the ones who were disciplined. They weren't the ones who were shrinking the deficit. 
So this will be an ongoing battle, and I think we teed it up here on this program today. Uh, what do you think? Send me a note on Twitter, at Carrie Sheffield, or if you want to send something to David Brody, the real host of this show, I'm sure he'll be interested to hear it as well. All right, stay tuned. We got more coming up on The Water Cooler. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Water Cooler. I am Carrie Sheffield, filling in for the one and only David Brody, who will be back here tomorrow. In the meantime, Sophie Mann, my colleague, joins me. Hey, Sophie. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Doing well. So tell us, what's your latest? Well, so today we have a report coming out of the WHO, who we haven't heard from for a little while now. Um, They met yesterday in Geneva, sort of the top officials with the organization, uh, not to commemorate, but they met one year following the first day that they heard about this new virus coming out of Wuhan spreading in China. Um, So one year post the initiation and onset of what would go on to be the coronavirus pandemic, they sort of met to review what has happened since and to look to the future. And so um, the crazy thing that came out of this conference was that Dr. Michael Ryan, who is uh, the head of emergencies, that's his title, at uh, the the UN agency, um, said that despite the sort of unprecedented nature of the coronavirus pandemic and you know the 1.8 million people globally who have died, the 81 million people that have been infected, this may not be, quote, the big pandemic which is to say that in the future we may encounter an even deadlier um, new form of a disease. And what he said was that despite the fact that the coronavirus does spread very, very easily, its fatality rates are actually not particularly high, which we know. Um, But that in the future, you know, we might encounter a new type of virus, a new type of disease that is, in fact, a uh, a much more real threat to the lives of, you know, average healthy people. In the world, and that um, despite the fact that we've been combating this pandemic for upwards or just about to be a year now, um, we are not prepared for what that scenario would look like. And so, uh, what he is basically saying is that the organization needs to continue doing their work and um, continue sort of figuring out what pandemic preparedness plans would look like on a global as well as country by country case basis. Do you think they've got a credibility problem though, as far as? who to trust when it comes to being prepared. I mean, I think, of course, they do. And I also think that, uh, as with most UN standing bodies, funding is on the table here. So they are making a pitch for, you know, what the future could look like. And, I mean, despite the fact that, you know, we've we've been at this pandemic uh, for a year now, and I think the question needs to be asked, what has the WHO really contributed? So it's not just a credibility problem, but more of a problem of who will we look to if there is a new God forbid, worse pandemic. Um, is it going to be the WHO or do we need to sort of Sophie. globally be thinking Sophie, Sophie, about Sophie. different? Thanks. Uh, thanks for ending the year on such a positive note. That's Sophie Mann. <laughs> and that does it for us here at the Water Cooler. Stay tuned for tomorrow. David Brody's back here. <laughs>